the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything that's going on. We'll do the best that we can. All you have to do is call us. You can do that by dialing 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, and I understand it's starting to rain out there in some parts of the city, so if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR uh, hands-free feature of your telephone, uh, the KSLR app. All you have to do is push one button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Uh, I know it's Halloween and there's going to be some kids who are out there, so be very careful out there. We're going to be here at church tonight. I have a, a wonderfully encouraging study. You know, this is a one of those Wednesday nights that not very many people are going to be here simply because of all the other things that are going on. Uh, But if you can't be here or aren't going to be able to watch it live stream, uh, listen to it tomorrow. This is a wonderfully hopeful and encouraging study out of 2 Samuel chapter 23. I always warn my church when I really love a Bible study because this is wonderfully encouraging. Uh, We have one more chapter after this in the book of 2 Samuel. So all of that, uh, oh, by the way, Paula is going to be live on the program tomorrow on the date day edition of the show. So ladies, um, mark that down. That's your time for any questions you have or any encouragement that that Paula might be able to provide for you. Well, with that, let's get to some questions while we await some phone calls. Here's a question from Rodney. Rodney says, how can I reconcile Jesus' promise of healing and miracles with the lack of them that we see today? Jesus said we can do all things, but that just isn't true. The Bible says that he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Rodney, the the last statement in, in your question, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that doesn't mean he always works the same. God has been working differently in different ages. We call them dispensations. Uh, He's been working differently throughout history. Uh, He dealt with Moses through law. He deals with us through grace, by faith. So those are the kinds of things that that, uh, um, um, we know he doesn't always do the same thing. When it says he doesn't change, it means he doesn't change his mind, his character doesn't change, his justice doesn't change. Miracles have a point, a purpose, and those miracles that we saw um, were miracles pointing to Jesus. He did them because he was identifying himself to the people in Israel 
that he was their Messiah. He was the Christ, the, the prophets, most notably Isaiah, but not just Isaiah. They predicted he would do these things, and the Christ they were waiting for, they misunderstood. Um, they actually wanted to misunderstand. They, they had a different agenda than God did. But when Jesus came, he did everything that pointed right to him. Now, as I said on the program earlier this week, we don't need the same signs and miracles. So the idea that, that people heal or, or get healed the same way it happened then or in the book of Acts, uh, for example, with the beggar at the gate beautiful, um, that's a misunderstanding of what the scripture is saying. Now, Randy, this, or Rodney rather, this is a, 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 a question that's near and dear to my heart because I have a, a casual friend who, whose faith has been shipwrecked by this. Uh, I keep praying for healing, he says, and I don't get healed. We're not promised those kind of miracles. I ran into a lady on my run this morning um, in the neighborhood. I've known her for years casually. We just kind of run into each other and say hi when she's out working in the lawn. But she always reminds me, you know, God doesn't want anybody to be sick. But, but that's not the case. Obviously, he doesn't want anybody to be sick because uh, he made the world perfect. But we ruined it when sin entered. So um, the idea of healings and miracles that are consistent with what we read in the pages of the Gospels and in the book of Acts is a misunderstanding of what their intent was. There isn't a single Christian who's ever lived who started reading the Bible and looked at those miracles, including this pastor, and to say, oh, I want to do miracles like that. Let's see miracles like that. But as you really study, rightly divide the word, Rodney, you find that the miracles had a purpose. The miracles had a purpose. Does God still occasionally do miracles? Yes, he does in some nations, as I mentioned earlier this week uh, third world countries countries where people are are risking their lives by converting to Christianity God still does those miracles they need to know that they can leave one belief system and come to another and Jesus does miracles just like he did in the book of Acts but for us we actually treat Jesus like he owes us these things and the greatest miracle of all the, the miracle of new birth the, the, the resurrection from the dead, the promises of eternal life, Rodney. That's really all we should need. We have already identified Jesus. We have more information about him than anybody. So those old, almost nonsensical notions that God should heal everybody, doesn't want anybody to be sick, that's just a result of, a, of, of really, really poor teaching and a biblically illiterate um, body of Christ. It's it's shameful, but, but that's the way it is. Now, relative to the, the thing you said, Jesus said we can do all things, uh, he didn't mean we can do all things. I can't just make something happen. But we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And those things that he's talking about, those things that are consistent with his will, those things that are consistent with his calling. So, Ronnie, don't look for the miracles. Look for Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, he'll tell you as he did the Apostle Paul when Paul pleaded with him three times to be healed. Jesus' response was, my grace is sufficient for you. So, Rodney, I hope that makes sense, but, but, but we need a more mature approach to our Bible. 340-9585, Andrew wants to know, can you please explain what's going on in Daniel chapter 10? Why would God let the devil interfere with an answer to prayer? Well, uh, Andrew, Daniel chapter 10, and we, we've had this question before, um, is, is a wonderful look into the spirit realm. What's going on behind the scenes, the things that we can't see? And, and I believe with all of my heart that this kind of spiritual warfare is still going on behind the scenes. Now, Daniel, in, in chapter 9, received this great end times revelation. But it was a, a revelation that, that broke his heart. It made him sick uh, as, as, as this was revealed to him. And he saw these things. He realized that the time was near. Um, he fasted, prayed for 21 days. 
wanting the answer. Well, we know that God sent the answer immediately. But in the spiritual realm, the answer was held up by Satan himself. Why would God allow that? Well, it's not a matter of allowing it. It's just the way it works. There's good angels and bad angels, and they're always at war with one another. And the enemy of our souls doesn't want any information that might be encouraging, comforting, or instructive to get to us, so he's always trying to mess. He, even in your prayer life, Andrew, the, the enemy, his demons, are trying to mess with you to sort of block the answers uh, to your prayers from heaven. He, the enemy doesn't want you to know. So why does God allow it? It's just the way it is. Now, in Daniel's case, in Daniel chapter 10, we know that Michael, the archangel, was sent. Michael, who is the um, equivalent in terms of power to Lucifer, we call him Satan, the devil. Uh, he sent Michael to make sure that the prayer... Um, the, the meaning of the visions and the, the, the answer to Daniel's prayers were delivered. So it's not like God was frustrated. Man, I can't do anything with that devil. Um, he just let the battle go on for 21 days until Michael was sent to make sure that the answers to prayer were received. So that's all that was going on. It's just sort of a behind-the-scenes look at the, the intense battle in the spiritual realm. And as I said, Andrew, I think that battle continues to this very day. So there's no, no, no answers to the why questions. Why would God do something? His ways are not our ways. He doesn't have to explain them to us. And Daniel, though he was arguably one of the two most righteous men in all of Scripture, Isaiah being the other, uh, Daniel wasn't immune from spiritual warfare. So that's just the way it's going to be, and it's going to be that way until Jesus returns. Here is a question from Anna or Anna. Uh, Pastor Ron, what is your position on corporal punishment? Can you talk about how to discipline children as they grow? Um, uh, Anna or Anna, let me let me recommend something for you. I, I've done a series. You can find it at our website, calvarysa.com a series, a whole series on parenting. Uh, it is by far, I mean by far, the most popular um, series of, of recordings that we've ever done. Uh, they're, they're, I don't know, 10 years old now, 9 years old now, and yet constantly those are being downloaded off of our website. And, and I, it, it's absolutely free, and I would encourage you to, to go to calvarysa.com and, and listen to them. Um, and my position on corporal punishment is there, and it's there in detail. And let me mention a couple of things. Uh, the Bible is in favor of spanking, corporal punishment. Now, never in anger, and I'll talk more about that in a moment, never in anger, it's not to cause harm or to inflict harm, but it's as a tool of discipline. And, and uh, you're not going to get this pastor to say that I disagree with God on corporal punishment uh, because the world that we live in says it's, it's a terrible thing. Um, if God's for it, we got to be for it, Anna, so that's very important. Now, uh, the second part of your question is more um, uh, relevant, I think, to, to all of us as, as Christians. How to discipline children as they grow? Let me say first, there has to be consistency. There has to be consistency. If there's consistency, there's a lot of great things you can do. Let me give you just one example. Let's say that your son or your daughter has done something willfully. You've told them not to do it. They knew that there would be consequences, and they're going to get a spanking. And if every time they do the same thing, that, cons that, that punishment, that discipline is consistent, then they will soon begin to think about what they're doing before they do it. And one of the things that I like to do is teach him Bible lessons once in a while. And I'll give you this example. If, if somebody's getting spanked, they keep doing it, and you're consistent in implementing the, the corporal punishment, then there's a time when you can say, you know what, let's go talk about this one. You deserve a spanking, right? Yeah, I did it. You know you were wrong, right? Yeah. You know you deserve a spanking, right? Yeah. Well, then you can say, today we're going to have a different lesson. 
Today's lesson is going to be about grace. I'm going to teach you what grace is, and when we're done, you're going to find out how grace benefits you. And then after you tell them about grace, you just tell them, look, today you, there's no punishment. Now, the next time that they're willfully disobedient, they'll probably ask for that same lesson on grace, but that's where you say, no, we have to be consistent, and you do it. But never, ever in anger, and there always needs to be reasoned conversation. They need to know what they've done. They need to know before they did it what the punishment is. And then before they receive the punishment, you can say, you knew that you would get a spanking. Did you not? And they'll say, yes, I did. And then you can look at them in the face say, do I look angry? No. Do I sound angry? No. It's because I love you. I'm not angry, but because I love you, I have to discipline you. And that kind of consistency, Anna, will have an impact. Now, as they grow up, believe me, I'm not a fan of spanking kids who are big enough to fight or resist while you're doing it. I said a moment ago, never, ever spank somebody in anger. Don't ever raise your voice in anger. Don't ever spank somebody in anger. That's when we can become crossing a line and become abusive. But when they get a little bit bigger, you've got to find more creative ways. Spanking works for some kids. It doesn't work for others. Putting people in restriction or, or taking things away from works for some kids. It doesn't work for others. Frankly, I think timeouts are silly. Uh, if a kid can discipline himself, exercise self-control to take a timeout, then he or she needs to learn to control themselves before they commit the crime. But I'm not a big fan at all of spanking kids who are older. There's got to be better ways to do it. And I think we can think of ways that would create conversation opportunities. And that's what your kids need. They need to have times where they're hearing you and your heart, and you can hear their heart. But discipline has to be consistent. It has to be measured. It has to be done in love. And they have to understand that you're not angry with them. You can tell them you're disappointed. I told you not to do it. You did it. What you did was willful. But kids who aren't disciplined grow up to be really, really unpleasant kids to be around. You don't want your children to be one of those kids. So, uh, Anna, that's, that's about the best I can do. But let me again recommend to you the series on parenting um, that we did here at Calvary Chapel. I did it. And uh, it has, it was, it's always been well received and uh, it continues, I think, to get more hits than anything else that we've done. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Patty. She asks, she called the studio, could a house be possessed? Patty, the answer is no. Uh, people are possessed. Houses are just objects. Could there be demon spirits in a house? The answer is yes. Uh, but, but when the Christian walks in, when the light goes on, the darkness leaves. What did Jesus say through his half-brother James? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So uh, we live in a very superstitious, you asked this question on Halloween, uh, we live in a very superstitious church culture. And we've got people anointing houses with oil and, and um, uh, having demons cast out. All, all that really is just sort of emotional nonsense. Um, as a Christian, we have the power. And that power is exercised not by shouting at the demons. That power is exercised by walking in the light with Jesus. And we're walking with Jesus. We don't have to be afraid of demons. We don't have to be afraid of, of our house, nothing at all. Uh, you know, Patty, um, I've been called to people's houses, I'll bet, a dozen times over our years here. People want us to anoint the doors with oil and, and just bless the house. And I'm happy to bless the house. Again, I don't like just doing religious stuff, superstitious stuff. But it always presents a teaching opportunity for me. 
and that's why we do it. So no, a house cannot be possessed. Um, demon spirits, for reasons that I can't explain, the Bible doesn't explain, uh, but makes it clear that demon spirits um, like to be embodied. Um, that's why they asked Jesus. That's why they asked Jesus in in the the story with Legion. Uh, let us go into the herd of swine. So, so um, um, demon spirits just floating in the air and stuff. That's not what they want to do. They 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 much prefer to be uh, in a in a vessel in a in a human vessel or or even an animal. Um, but but no, a house cannot be possessed. A house has no feelings. A house has no um, no soul to 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 distort. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Patty. Oh, here's a question. How much time do I have? Okay, I can do this, I think. Bob says, what should the Christian response be to the caravans of migrants trying to come to this country? And then he says, voice of reason, please. Well, Bob, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what I think is the voice of Jesus, and that's certainly the voice of reasons. Uh, we should love the people. We should love the people. Every one of those immigrants that come into our country, legally or illegally, every one of them uh, is somebody who's loved by Jesus. We have to deal with them with compassion and understanding. We've got to exercise the fruit of the Spirit. We shouldn't be prone to hysteria. You know, I heard a, a, a government official saying that we, we have to watch out for disease and all those things coming into our country. It's it's sort of like we're 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 portraying them as this big bag boogeyman out there, uh, and and it's all being done for political gain on both sides of the of of, of the aisle, left and right. So our response needs to be we love them. Now that doesn't mean we can't have a nation of laws seems to me that this is a nation that has to decide whether we want immigration laws or whether we want open borders. There's no in-between. If we have immigration laws, those immigration laws need to be enforced. But if the country has decided, and that's what happens when we vote for people, and if our country gets to the place where it decides that, that, that open borders are what our desire is, then we need to be hospitable and welcoming because that's what Jesus would do. So yes, I think we can do two things. We can uphold the law and be loving and welcoming. But the vitriol that's been caused by this in our country is shameful and that Christians are involved in that vitriol is worse than shameful. It seems like sometimes when politics get involved, Bob, we, we, uh, we forget we're Christians. It's very important that we understand that these people are doing what you and I would do, given the same situation. They're leaving a country where their lives are in danger. They're leaving a country where they have no hope at all. Can you imagine what it would be like to be willing to walk a thousand miles? Hopeful that you're going to walk to some place where you'll be safe. Can you imagine the difficulty emotionally and spiritually that, that those families are going through? And I'm talking to Christians here, and I don't care whether you vote left or right. But when you start looking at those people as anything other than objects of Jesus' love, you're in sin. You're in sin. It's, it's okay to stand up for law and order. But when you start demonizing people that you've never met, people are only doing what you'd do if you were protecting your family. Often on this program, Bob, I say Christ is always in the middle. He's always the balance between extremes. And both extremes in our country are wrong. Jesus is in the middle. 
Should we keep the law? I think we should. I'm a pretty conservative guy. But we've got to do something with this immigration system that makes sense. Because the one that we have now makes no sense. And I think the real problem is that we don't have people on either side of the aisle that want to do anything about it. I think we like throwing rocks at each other. And the problem is we Christians are being dragged in the middle. So, Bob, that's as reasonable as I can be on that issue. But remember, our place is with Jesus. And he loves every one of those people, and his heart breaks because of the world that they're trying to escape. Having said that, I think his heart breaks even more when he sees his own people, believers in Jesus Christ, dragged into the depths of this kind of discourse that we're experiencing in this nation now. If some of those immigrants show up at Calvary Chapel, San Antonio, they're going to be loved on like nobody's business. So, Bob, I hope that helps. We've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the show we have 30 minutes left on the wednesday program again paul will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition ladies it is your show and then um tonight um second samuel chapter 23 in what I think is a wonderfully encouraging Bible study. If you can listen, calvarysa.com. Uh, if you want to show up, maybe you want to get away from the kids' trick-or-treating or something, uh, we uh, welcome you to do that as well. Let's go to San Antonio online when we've got Lennon calling. Lennon, I hope I'm saying your name right. That's correct. Um, okay. I'm calling to make a comment about uh, the immigration problem. I'm okay. actually an immigrant. I'm actually an immigrant from El Salvador, and it really touched my heart what you said. Thank and you. It's so that I actually wanted to cry when you were talking because um, we have to see each other as human beings, you know, and then not second or third class citizens. And I've been very blessed listening to your show and. I feel like I know you just by listening to you. And I want to thank you for your comments and for the, the love that you share in the, in the airways. Thank you, Lennon. Thank you. You humble me, Lennon. I appreciate it very, very much. Everything we do. Visit your church. Oh, cool. Well, introduce yourself. Be, be sure to introduce yourself if you get a chance to come. Yes, thank you, Lennon. I'm a faithful listener, and I, I love the show. I love the the message that you send out to to our fellow brothers. You know, sometimes we, like you said, we get caught up with politics, and you know, and we forget about who we serve. So, thank you for you know putting some of us. I mean, I'm in the other side where I come from another country. I know what it is to to be in that position, you know, to come to another country, to learn the language, to sometimes be, be discriminated against, and, you know, to experience all those things, even through through fellow, you know, Mexican-American uh, people. Yeah. But nonetheless, then, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I appreciate it very, very much. I hope everybody heard his voice. You know, everybody needs hope. And um, we can read about the conditions in El Salvador or, or, or Central America, Honduras, uh, the places that that um, it's just impossible to survive. And if a Christian can't begin with a place of understanding and a place of compassion, if love doesn't motivate every single thing that we say and do, 
then we can recognize that we're the ones who are in error. And we're supposed to be light in this dark world. So, you know, the, the one of the problems I think we have, and I'm going to, I'll just add just this and then we'll move on. Um, I, I think we feel like in this polarized political climate that we live in, I think we feel like we have to take a side. And as Christians, what I would beg all of you to do is to take Jesus aside. Jesus trumps the government. Jesus trumps political beliefs. Jesus trumps our opinions, our emotions. We've got to take his side. Jesus said, what you do to the least of these you've done to me. It's been a long time now, but 27 years ago, 26 years ago, I was homeless. I was homeless because I sinned so grievously. I dragged my family through all of that. And other than Jesus, the thing that got us through were Christians who dealt with us in compassion. They didn't judge. They didn't assume that I was the worst man in the world because I wasn't providing for my family. They just showed me who Jesus was. Well, we need to do that with everybody who comes across our path. And the honest truth is that we don't have, as individuals now, I'm only speaking in, as individuals, we don't have the power or the authority to determine national policy. We don't have to do that. It's okay to vote for somebody that, that most consistently lines up with your perspective, but whatever policy comes out of Washington on either side of this coming election, on either side of the next presidential election, whatever policy comes, we had nothing to do with. So our policy individually has to be a policy to love people who are hurting. And once again, I want to say this. If you find yourself angry at those immigrants, that's on you. That's your sin. If you're angry at the government, if you're angry in general at the conditions in Central America or in Mexico, if you're angry at those things and you don't sin in your anger, that's righteous anger. It's okay, I'm angry about that. I'm angry that our neighbors, we planted a church in Reynosa, we've talked about that. I'm angry that there are murders, beheadings. I'm angry that there have to be people with rifles on the streets. I'm angry at sin, but when we sin in our anger, we've gone too far. So, Lennon, thank you. You made my day. Appreciate it very, very much. Here is the next question from Bethany. She wants to know, did David rape Bathsheba? Um, it, it's coincidental, Bethany, that she asked this question because uh, somebody sent me about a month ago uh, an article from, um, obviously, a woman's uh, perspective, a, a victim's perspective, that Bathsheba was a victim of rape, and um, this woman tried to justify it biblically, and the answer is no, she was a willing participant. Now, it is true that Bathsheba didn't have a choice in the matter, he was the king. But if you look at the language in the scriptures, it's also clear that she put herself intentionally in a position to attract him. Her husband's out to war. David should have been out to war. And she's bathing naked on a rooftop. Not um, unusual to see people on the rooftops in, in Israel. It's hot. They didn't have air conditioning. And she was out there. And um, I think the inference is clear that she knew David was on the roof just above hers. She knew that David wasn't at war. Now, the sin is counted to David. I don't want to be misunderstood here. But Bathsheba wasn't the victim. She was a sinner. But David is the one who sinned against God. David is the one who violated his agreement with God to love the people of Israel and to be their shepherd king. 
David was the one who wasn't in the place that he was supposed to be. But no, she didn't get raped. The sin is accounted to David. To whom much is given, much more is required. But it wasn't rape. Hope that helps, Bethany. Here is a question from Ken. Ooh, I like this question, Ken. It says, God confused the language in Genesis 11 when everyone spoke the same language. I have two questions. What language was it, and why did God do it when it would be great if everyone spoke one language? Well, we don't know what language it was. Whatever the, the common language of the day was, we, we know it's not Hebrew, but we don't know what the language was. But would it really be great if everyone spoke one language? Listen to this. Uh, Genesis 11 starts out saying that the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Now that's important. I'll talk about that in a moment. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. That's important as well. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down. That's Father, Son, and Spirit. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And in the process, God's purpose was to scatter them, creating people groups that would go their own way. Now, I told you that they were baking the bricks and using tar for mortar. What they were doing is waterproofing the bricks. Now, why were they waterproofing the bricks? There was a world that was living in rebellion against God. This is a world that, that everyone knew of the flood of Noah. Everyone knew that God destroyed the earth and all of the people in it. That story would have gone through generation after generation after generation. And here's what they did, decided to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a tower to the heavens. What they're really doing is trying to build a tower so that if God did flood the earth, if God decided to judge, that they could build one so high that they would be above the floods of judgment. And God basically is looking down and saying, look at those people. They can communicate. They can talk to each other. And look what they do with that gift of the common language. They're using it to figure out how to rebel against me. And so God corrected them. He judged them. And he scattered them. So I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, Ken, that it's a good thing that if everybody could speak speak a common language. Now, I'd like to speak a bunch of languages. Dr. Peter uh, from Malta Medical here, you know, he speaks five different languages. Uh, our son, Paul is and my son, Terry, our younger son, uh, he has a gift for languages. I am so envious. I'd love to be able to communicate with people, um, no matter the language. But when we start using that common language, or even the gift of language, to rebel against God, then we've gone too far. And that's what happened in Genesis chapter 11. So, again, we don't know what language it was, but we know it was the language of the world. It was the language of sin. And that's why they were scattered. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, Pastor Ron, you've said that Jesus is coming back soon, but what makes you think so? Um... Let me clarify. Soon doesn't mean like in a week or a month or a year. Uh, nobody knows when Jesus is coming back for his church. Um, but we're told in Scripture to expect the imminent return of the Lord. I said this on this program many times, but I think the power in the first century church came primarily from two things. One, gratitude at having been rescued. But secondly, and I think this was the more compelling force, those men and women expected to see Jesus at any moment. I imagine 
the first century church getting up every day looking to the eastern sky and say this could be the day this might be the day and they lived with a sense of urgency they lived a, a life that said well if he comes today I want him to find me serving him with my whole heart same thing is true for us anonymous if we believe that Jesus is coming back soon we'll live life differently than we do if we aren't looking for his soon return and you can look at the signs in the world that we live in and surely we look at these things and say how much worse can it get oh God but you know people lived in this world for 2,000 years have been saying the same thing how much worse can it get come quickly Lord Jesus I think we can keep our eyes on Israel I think the more we see the world unite in their opposition to their hatred for Israel I mean think about it the tragedy in Pittsburgh just this past weekend the fact that hate prevails with such a ferocity the polarization that I spoke of in our country over political issues people can't even talk to one another civility read second Timothy Paul tells Timothy and this is Paul's farewell later mark this Timothy in the last days the very last days he's talking about there will be perilous times and he describes very specifically the world that we live in so yes I think Jesus is coming soon I've been saved 27 years I thought he would be back before now however that doesn't mean my hope is in the rapture my hope is in Jesus and every day I want to be like Enoch and Enoch's always been my hero for this reason he walked with Jesus every day for 65 years he walked with Jesus and Jesus took him he was no more it's a great picture of the rapture through fellowship with Christ but you know I want Jesus to come today but if he doesn't come today and I want to walk with him because we got work to do. Paul says to, to, to die and be with Jesus is better by far. But if I stay, it means there's work that remains to be done. And then he, in his particular case, he, he says, I, I conclude that I'm going to be staying here with you now. Let's get to work. So living like Jesus can come any moment but living as though he might tarry for our whole lifetime the balance between those two things assures that we're going to live lives sold out for Jesus Christ so again suddenly or soon doesn't mean anything more than in an instant there won't be any warning every day will be just like every other day and then he'll be here he'll call us with a trumpet call of God that's not a literal trumpet it's a, a call to readiness but we, we've all of us we've been given the command to be ready at any moment at every moment and as I said if you live like that it will change your whole life here's another anonymous question Wait a minute, I think I've got a, a call. I'll take that one first. Let's go to Jose from San Antonio. Jose, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, Pastor Ron. Hi, Jose. Sir, I'm a, I'm a listener of your program. Uh, Thank you. Lately, I've been listening to this pastor. His name is David Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. And I had a question. Uh, he's been talking a lot about angels. Uh, mm -hmm. And I want to know uh, what's what's your thought on that well what you take um, on, on angels and uh I, can I just listen offline sure you can sure you can thank you Jose I appreciate it um, I've not listened to David Jeremiah's um, um, teaching on angels I know he's written a book uh, written a whole bunch of books um, uh, I can tell you what I believe about angels but but I, I'm not sure uh, what teaching on uh, of his that you're talking about let me say this about David Jeremiah 
Uh, I've met uh, I've met him a couple times. He's a genuine guy. He uh, truly loves the Lord. And what what I admire so much about him is that it seems that the older he gets, the more energy he has, and the more he wants all of that energy to be spent on the Lord. Uh, doctrinally, David Jeremiah is super solid. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure that what he teaches on angels or what he's written in his book about angels uh, is doctrinally sound because everything else is doctrinally sound. Um, but uh, Jose, he's, he's, he's somebody that doctrinally I just don't have much in the way of differences with at all. Um, I admire him, I honor men like him who are serving the Lord. Um, and have done so for a very, very long time. Um, so I can't do anything other than hardly endorse his ministry. If I had one minor complaint, uh, it's that, that uh, he's part of this marketing culture that we have in Christianity that, that is always selling things and always asking for money. And um, uh, personally, I just don't like that. But uh, doctrinally, um, uh, the, the example he set for men like me, I, I can say younger men like me, I am a little bit younger than Dr. Jeremiah's, uh, but, but truly a nice man and um, an inspiration for people like me. So I've got nothing but um, good things to say about him. Um, and uh, um, I could almost say, Jose, that his book or his teachings about angels is going to be really, really solid. I actually watch him on television on Sunday mornings just before I leave for church. Um, I think he's on at 7.30 here in the San Antonio area. And um, um, uh, he's, he's somebody that I can recommend without conditions. So, Jose, I hope that helps you. Let's get to the question that I, this is anonymous. Eating pork is forbidden by God, yet Christians do it all the time. The Bible says more about that than homosexuality. Why then isn't homosexuality okay? Anonymous, your, your, your ability to understand or even to try to understand the Bible in context is going to get you in trouble. Um, eating pork isn't forbidden for you or for me. In the New Testament, Jesus declared all foods clean. It was forbidden for Israel. Why? Well, because God gave Israel the law for a very important reason, that they would be separate from the world, different from the world, light in this dark world, even back then. And so he gave them a standard of living that was obviously even too great for them to, to begin to be able to do it. But, but those laws represent the character of God, the heart of God. And when he says to Israel, don't do this or don't do that, it's because he wants them to be healthy. Remember, he blessed them with abundant health. None of the disease of Egypt came upon the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness. Not even their shoes or their clothing wore out. God was sustaining his people and basically he was just saying in the ancient world, this is the way for healthier eating. Now, a lot of Christians will take that and say, well, we need to eat healthy and we need to follow those dietary practices. That's not true. You remember that on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner, Jesus sort of scolded Peter, don't call anything unclean that I've declared clean. Peter said, but Lord, no unclean food has ever come across these lips. And Jesus just said, rise, kill, and eat, Peter. And I'm grateful. I think bacon is my favorite thing in the world in terms of food. The issue with homosexuality is completely different. By the way, the Bible says quite a bit about homosexuality. So if you understand the prohibitions against pork or against unclean food, then be honest, anonymous, be honest as you read the Bible relative to homosexuality. God makes it really clear, Old Testament and New, what his heart toward it is. He calls it sin. We don't have a vote in that. So when a Christian says homosexuality is sin, we're not against homosexuals. We're against sin. We want people to come to Jesus. 
and it's dishonest scholarship to just sort of repeat old tired arguments from people who don't care about the Bible don't understand the Bible homosexuality is a sin because God says it is sexual activity between heterosexuals who are not married is a sin because God says it is you didn't write in your question about heterosexual sexual immorality so be honest as you look at these things God wants your heart to give me heart you got to give me your body let's go one more Les says Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says not to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit how can we do that if the Holy Spirit is God you know that's a very thoughtful question Les and um, it's always been staggering to me staggering that only men humans can quench the power of the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, who's completely, totally powerful, is omnipotent. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, and we can turn that power off through sin and disobedience. So remember, we have fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. But if we walk in the darkness, if we walk in sin, then we render the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives ineffective. And I like the word quench because we're quenching the heart of God, the power of God that is only for our own good. Let's maybe I'll get more on this one on the Friday program. Hey, thanks for listening today. I appreciate the phone calls. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the show. We'd love your live calls and questions. May God bless you and keep you have a safe night tonight. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.